You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Rodrigo Martinez. He's the uh, CMO for Veritas Genetics. The website is veritasgenetics.com. So, Rodrigo, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell me, what, what's the premise of uh, Veritas? What do you guys do? Well, we um, we saw about five years ago that it was time to make a big bet on the genome. And at that point, you know, sequencing someone's genome was was probably somewhere between ten and $30,000, depending on who you would go see or, or how you would were able to do it. And we thought, look, it's time to... Uh, to figure out a way to drop the price to less than a thousand dollars, very high quality uh, DNA test that would be useful not just for um, interesting things like ancestry, etc., but actually with medical insights that can be useful in making better decisions about your health, and a test that both consumers and physicians could order. So we started um, Veritas. A few founders are uh, come from the Harvard. Personal Genome Project, a couple of engineers, uh, business people, designers, etc. And now we're, um, yeah, on our fifth year, uh, we have a couple of different products all around whole genome sequencing. So this is uh, for an individual person can go to Veritas and get their genome sequenced for about a thousand bucks. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, exactly. Yeah, I've heard there's different levels of sequencing, like, you know, there's companies like 23andMe and places like that. And I don't know too much about it, but I know they do a certain level of sequencing. So what is that level compared to what you do and what's the implications of both? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding out in the marketplace. So actually, the, the technology that 23andMe and Ancestry and others use is actually not sequencing. They use a technology called genotyping. And you know, it was, it's a technology that has served its purpose. It's been basically, uh, the last decade, uh, it's been used for most genetic tests. And you basically ask questions in someone's DNA and you to answers that you already know. So you create a chip with these little dots and then you query particular letters in the genome and say, do you have it? Do you not have it? Do you have it? Do you not have it? Um, so it serves its purpose in terms of answering questions. Um that that you know that you already know the answers to. You cannot use it to identify something completely new. Um, it was also used because sequencing was much more expensive. So as the sequencing cost has gone down, um, there's a lot more interest now in doing genome sequencing, and you can do two types: either exome. Exome is the part of the genome that has uh, proteins that code for instructions. 
So it's about 2% of the genome. Uh, and then there's whole genome sequencing, which is where you sequence the whole genome. And that's all 6 billion bases or letters. Um, and that's what we do. Now, things are moving quickly towards genome because your genome is basically all genetic tests that you can do on yourself, right? So it's the interpretation of the of what you find out and that sequence that matters. Um, so that's that's basically the main difference. And and of course, when you have a genome sequence, you can go back over time as more scientists and researchers find interesting things about a genome. You can go back and and search for additional answers as as time goes by. So let's say you sequence your genome, you know, in 2018. And six months later, there's a couple of new papers and research that identified some more uh, additional genes in an area that you're interested in, say, something like schizophrenia. And you can come back to Veritas and say, hey, can you find out if I have those variants and how does that change? How, how could that potentially change my medical approach to this? Sure, we can go and find that um, because we've already digitized your genome. So that's the main difference. You can't do that, by the that way, with genotype. So, yeah. So to be more clear, genotyping is is looking at the exome part of the genome, or is it not even that? No, genotyping is even less. So genotyping is depending on the chip you make. So you make a chip with a specific request. So my, I think the latest chip that 23andMe was using had something like one million, or a little bit less than a million points, um, and that's about half, uh, less than half of one percent of your genome. So it's it's a quite small. So, so we, for example, we generate more data in the genomes that we sequence and the information that we get from our customers in a week than all the data that 23andMe generated since existence for the last 10, 11 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So how many different uh, essays or tests or associations, like do you curate all the scientific papers out there and see what what science in general is finding out about, you know, the genome? And uh, include that in your reports to people, or like what? What do people get with their report, and what's uh, how many different things can they look at? Yeah, so we uh, we have a, a very expert clinical team, um, if not the best, one of the best teams in the world. Um, and so there's an established set of things that one can interpret today that can learn about about the genome, and we include all of those. Um, and some of them have to do with disease risks or some conditions that you may carry on that you could pass on to your children um, or other different types of traits, et cetera. So we include all of that. And we're also now creating additional content uh, that we think is important for people to have. And so there's more and more um, uh, insights, if you like, that we are including based on the interpretation that our clinical team is doing. And then the next phase is basically using machine learning tools to analyze thousands and thousands and thousands of genomes, eventually millions, so that we can all learn more about what are the different relationships between the genes and the genes and the environment. Okay, so you know, what are some of the, uh, the examples that uh, seem to be most interesting to people or you know, that strikes yeah. you guys so, as uh, super important? Yeah, and the health risk side, you know, there, often people are interested in learning um, whether they have a... a precondition or they're at risk of a type of cancer, right? So we include um, that. There are other conditions that have to do more with mental health or with different organs. Uh, people are interested in learning about the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, uh, which are, uh, you know, which influence your the risk of you getting breast or ovarian cancer uh, and, and are also related to other types of cancers. So 
people are interested in that, Alzheimer's, you risk for Alzheimer's, et cetera. So all of these, you know, they're very, genetics are not deterministic, right? They're, they're only a few things that we know so far that show in your genes that actually determine with certainty that you will get sick. For the most part, it's really probabilities, right? Is they put you at a certain risk, which is the interesting part, because if you know that you are at risk of a condition, for example, I am at risk of a condition called pulmonary fibrosis, which means that my lungs could develop these sort of fibrosis, um, you know, sort of these little strings that, that prevent the lung from working properly, these fibers, right? Um, I know what I can do to reduce that risk. Uh, I need to stay away from dust, from metal or stone or wood, um, et cetera. So I know the things that I can do. So I can adjust my lifestyle and just stay away from, from you know, when I go in the street and there's a construction site on one side, I just cross across this, you know, I try to stay away from it, right? So I can do certain things in my life to minimize that risk. And I think that's the value of sequencing your genome is you can learn certain risks that you have and and for many of them you can act upon right so people want to learn those some you know some of those uh, risks that have a genetic component the second category of things that people like to to know are things that may carry what are called your carrier status these are conditions that you are not necessarily sick or you don't present any symptoms but you could pass them on to your children so people that either already have kids or want to have kids they want to know if their kids are at risk of certain conditions both in terms of what you bring with your genetics and then the other person, the partner, right? So that's that's the second uh, second category. The third one is uh, drug sensitivities. So part of why certain medications work differently for you than they work for me is determined by our genes. And some of these, and these are medications that that many of us know, including you know pain medication, etc. So. Um, in our report, we include a list of 170 medications, and we show which of those you might have an interaction with, you know, with your genes, and therefore you should talk to your doctor about either changing the medication or adjusting the dose. So that's sort of a, a very practical, if you like, actionable um, insight. Um, and then the last category are things more like traits and ancestry and other things that we do include in our report. But we're really um, emphasizing the, the actionable medical-related insights uh, in what we provide back uh, in the reports to our customers. Do you have to be careful in how you tell people to interpret the reports so they don't, you know, get upset or freak out or feel doomed? Yeah, I mean that's absolutely that's a great question. Um, so two things: one, we've we've done a lot of work to create a report um, that I think, to my knowledge, is the best report right now out there, which is, you know, it's web-based, it highlights, it gives you an, a summary of what are the things you need to first focus on. Uh, it doesn't give you all the technical scientific details right up front. It actually just explains, this is what this means. These are the risk factors. This is what you can do, you know, for every major result. And then if you want the details, you can go onto the other tabs and look at all the details. So right, one is, how do you design properly a report? The second aspect is, you want to have, uh, I mean, I would I would suggest, we offer a genetic counseling. So if you are going to to buy a genetic test, you want to make sure you want to have access to a genetic counselor or a professional can, that can help you if you have a question, right? Um, and there are many companies out there that do not offer that. Um, and therefore, you know, we, we do. And we think it's really important to to have that support because some of these some of these results can be very not just medically important, but can be very emotional, right? And 
you know, customers and or the physicians that are ordering the tests with the, with some of our patients, they should have a resource and say, hey, let's have a call and have this explained and what does this mean? And, you know, do do we even talk about, you know, do I have to talk about with my family members if I found a certain result? How do I do that, et cetera? So we strongly believe that consumers should have the option of that support. No, it makes total sense. What are some of the um, more serious uh, results that uh, are possible? I mean, you know, some people, there's a very, uh, there's a very well-known variant, which the variant is basically a change in a, in a letter or a series of letters in your code that predispose you to certain risk. There's a known variant of the APOE gene that increases your predisposition for Alzheimer's significantly. So that particular variant, E4, uh, is well-known. And some people uh, want to know and some people don't want to know it. Um, you know, and partly is because um, there is no cure for Alzheimer's. There are some medications that can help delay it. Um, but I would tell you that that we know there are certain, there's some research that shows that certain diets that are very iron rich um, might have a, a relationship with the onset of Alzheimer's, for example, uh, or or other things, right? So if you learn that you are at risk, for example, my dad died of Alzheimer's, uh, and I wanted to know if I was at risk genetically, because you can also get it without having, you know, the genetic root. Um, and I don't have it, but I'm still very much aware of it and, and, you know, and keep it in mind. So that's definitely one that people that people tend to know that it, there's an important one. Um, and, and, we you know, we have some customers that have shared some amazing stories with us where they learned they had a, they were at risk. They changed, adjusted their diet. They uh, made some of the changes in their lifestyle, even talked to the doctor about adjusting their vitamin regimes, et cetera. Um, and... And you know, so that's doing something, um, something that could, that, that could have some effect in delaying the onset of Alzheimer's. So if if you can do that, you know, why not? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's, it depends on the person. Like some people, I'm sure, don't want to know, and I kind of feel like that a lot of times too. But um, then again, a lot of people also feel power or feel a sense of empowerment by knowing, because they can at least affect the outcome and they know what they're getting into. You know. Exactly. Or at least they can actually do more research, right? If, look, I, I have two daughters and, and if one of my daughters has a, we all have predispositions for certain conditions and that's just nature, right? So if, if I know my daughter has a predisposition for something, well, A, I'm going to educate myself better. I'm going to go find the specialist. I'm going to go find the literature, the clinical trials, everything, right? Even though it might be something there is no current cure for it, I want to be involved in it, right? Like I don't, I don't want to pretend that I don't know. So um, and we're actually preparing, preparing now to launch a uh, whole genome sequencing product for newborns. Um, so we'll have that um, launch later on in the year, precisely for that reason. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is um, so this could be for someone that's let's say in their 40s and 50s, and they want to know, you know, what they can do to improve their aging. And it could be for you know young a young couple that you know are going to have children. They want to know if um, you know, they're going to produce children that have a certain problem or not. I mean, and then like you said, for babies. So right at the outset, you'll know, uh, you know, how to improve your child's health and the the person themselves will know from an early stage, uh, you know, what's possible with their genome, or at least part of what's possible. So I, I can see a lot of different scenarios in which uh, this will be really important. You know? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look, eventually everybody at birth will be sequenced. No question about that. Right, like that's where we're gonna go. 
um, when that is. Is it five, ten years out, twenty? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. The question is, what do we do from now till then, right? Let's make sure we do it responsibly. That the information that we give back to the parents and the doctor, because at that point you're not giving the results to the baby, right? Um, is is done responsibly and clearly that they have the resources that they need to understand what are some of those results. And also, you know, we only want to give back to the parents and the physician of a baby the things that are useful in the first, I don't know, 10, 15 years of life, right? You don't, there's no need for them to know something that might come when they're 60. And and maybe later on when the, when the child becomes 18 and becomes an adult, they might decide that they want to see the rest of the report or the rest of the results, right? Or they might decide they don't want to, right? Um, but we know that where we're going is everybody will be sequenced soon. Um, not, not just because as the price goes down, because the evidence that, um, that having this type of information can be useful for your care is also increasing. There are many more studies now that show that having this information can be very valuable. Yeah, no, definitely. Have you had uh, examples where whole families have gotten sequenced and they've compared the yeah. data and looked at it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we the they we know from certain families that uh, they they have um, they have done this. Obviously, we're we we are HIPAA compliant. We we we're very very um, serious about how we the security and the privacy of the data. So obviously, only the families that tell us as a group, hey, we want to do this, that are open with us, we know, right? Otherwise, we might not even know that we have a whole family because the 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 test orders have come in independently, right, individually. Uh, but yes, we do know that there there are some families that are four generations and cousins, et cetera. Um, and again, you know, eventually when we're all sequenced, um, it'll be again we didn't do it properly in protecting privacy, et cetera. Um, I think you know we're going to learn things that today we can't even imagine, right? We we probably understand one two percent really of what is in the genome, even though we can sequence it most mostly all. Um, we can we barely understand and know what a small amount means. Um, over the next coming decades, we're going to learn so much. Um, we're going to realize that that you know some of the things we we knew were wrong or incomplete, uh, and we're just going to learn new things about the relationship between genes and the environment, and genes to genes to the environment, um, and and hopefully we can act upon them and make smarter decisions about our whole biology, not just our health. Yeah, um, well, I know you can't name names, obviously, but are you privy to the data from, you know, I don't know, the thousands or tens of thousands of tests that you guys have done? And if so, are you able to see any uh, patterns or trends or any interesting things that jump out at you? Yeah, I mean, so two things. Again, um, we ask, we follow, uh, you know, not just HIPAA, compliance, but also what's called GDPR, which is a new regulation that came in Europe around data. And we also follow that. Even though we don't have to in the States, we also follow it. Um, so we're very careful about, about the, the privacy and how the data is managed. But, but I'll give you an example of, of, a, of a person that specifically wanted to tell his story. What if you could learn about the ketogenic diet and metabolic therapy from the world's top scientists, physicians, and influencers? In a four-day experience co-hosted by Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. If you want to hear about the latest scientific evidence on nutrition and metabolism and its potential to treat disease, increase longevity, improve athletic performance, and yes, help with weight loss, 
Metabolic Health Summit is for you. Some of the speakers include Dominic D'Agostino, PhD, Mark Sisson, Suzanne Ryan of Keto Karma, Thomas Seyfried, uh, who studies metabolism and cancer, Aubrey Marcus, Georgia Ede, MD, Matt and Mega of Keto Connect, and many, many more speakers. At this conference, we're going to dive into the research and learn how to apply it during real-world applications with four days of presentations. There'll be nightly receptions with keto-friendly drinks and appetizers. There'll be a scientific poster session that includes the latest research on ketosis, human optimization, and more. And there'll be new innovative products at the Metabolic Health Summit Keto Expo. You'll get to network with some of the world's most brilliant minds at the Metabolic Health Summit VIP Mixer and Gala Dinner. For physicians, this activity is jointly provided by Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and the Metabolic Health Initiative. Cedars-Sinai is accredited by ACCME to provide continu continuing medical education for physicians. Earn up to 21.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits by attending. If you're a registered dietitian, this event has received prior approval by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics for 18 CPEs. Visit MetabolicHealthSummit.com or click on the banner and get your tickets before they're gone because it's coming soon. Remember, it's in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. We are only weeks away. This is a must-not-miss seminar. He wanted to find out certain things about his genome and that he, he actually uh, let us do a documentary on it, etc. So the 18-time the world record holder, free diver, um, William Truebridge is this fantastic um, New Zealand guy, and we sequenced his genome a couple of years ago. And because he wanted to know if there were some predispositions that he had for his sport and for his health, and he also wanted to know if you know other things. Um, and we 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 sequenced his genome. There's actually a, a, uh, on Medium. There's a, a couple of interviews with him and a, a nice piece that they wrote in three three different chapters. Um, and he did find some things that that mattered in his case, and again, this is all public. Um, a particular a particular learning in in his uh, APOE gene, again, this one that that is related to Alzheimer's. Um, so that implies he needs to make changes to his training regime and his diet, et cetera. So you know, look, uh, the, the genetic. Hey, remember, we're ninety nine point five percent identical among all of us. Um, but those, you know, those. Those few differences that we have, where the 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 100,000, those few differences that we have um, can mean a lot. So finding those differences um, is, is, you know, is part of the, the incredible magic of what we do today in genomics. I would call it almost magic, right? Like, look, if I would tell you, I think one way to explain this is if I tell you 100 years ago, hey, um, guess what? A hundred years from now, we're going to find this incredible language that connects us with plants and animals and all the humans, and we're going to be able to understand it. And, you know, you would think, oh my gosh, this guy's a poet and he had too much wine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no way you can imagine what we're doing today in, in genomics a hundred years ago, right? And and probably that's where we are today from a hundred years from now. What we're doing now is gonna is gonna look like cavemen trying to write a you know do a painting in the wall compared to what we're gonna know a hundred years from now. Um, so that's part of the excitement, uh, the exciting adventure we're on. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so are there any trends or overall I don't know 
things that you you've been able to observe again amongst the uh, the thousands of samples yeah. that Veritas yeah. has looked at. Any you know again yeah. obviously no names, but anything that jumps out exactly. at you that surprises you. Yeah, look, I mean some general things. One is um, we um, more than ten percent of everybody that we sequence has a very important thing to learn. Uh, you know, more than quarter a quarter of the people we sequence have something useful and interesting and important medically. I'm not talking about other, you know, ancestry and other stuff, right? Um, so it's not like only, oh, only 1% of people learn something useful. No, like it's, it's you know, it's about a quarter of the population at least. Um, you know, uh, everybody, all of the people that we sequence learn something interesting about their drug sensitivities, right? And they, whether they're taking that drug or not, at least they have that information now, right? Uh, and there's other aspects like that. Um, we have inter- a lot of interest of our customers, both of, uh, male and female, um, different age age ranges. You know, from 25 to you know, the majority of our customers are 25 to 55, right? But then, of course, we have 97 year olds, 100 year olds. You know, um, so we're you know we're we're constantly um, um, learning. Now, we also ask people when they when they sequence their genome if they want to participate in research, meaning could their data without identifying them personally be used for research for us to learn more things? And a significant number of people, more than 70% of people say yes, um, which is fantastic because the only way we're going to learn more from our genome than what we know today is going to be by looking at thousands and thousands and thousands, eventually millions of genomes and deploying some really, really strong and robust machine learning tools. Uh, and we've we've developed those, and we're doing it now with thousands of genomes. But we need to get to the hundreds of thousands and millions to really to really understand more. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't want to be negative, but um, what happens if someone hacks uh, Veritas and takes the data, or what happens if a government tries to subpoena someone's DNA? Yeah, Does that I mean, happened, and what would what would happen if they did that? Yeah, I mean, there are all these questions are very important and very relevant. So. We're a HIPAA compliant, um, um, you know, if you like, entity. So just like Mass General Hospital in Boston or, you know, any other major hospital, um, could any, any database could be hacked, right? We've taken all the precautions that we have, uh, as you can imagine, in terms of encryption, in terms of not all the data sits in one place. Everything is on the cloud in different, you know, across different servers, et cetera, et cetera. So we've done taking all the precautions. Now, is any database safe from hacking? Of course not. None, right? Not just us, but anybody. Uh, we do. We take as much precautions and as many precautions as we can, and we do what we you know in order to do that. Now, you know, the question sometimes is like, well, what would happen if you know if somebody? And we get this question a lot. Well, what if somebody gets my genome? I'm like, okay, let's let's assume that somebody can hack, or or you know, or, or somebody you lose your password or something, and somebody can look at your data or something. The the first question that usually comes is, what would happen if my health insurance company finds out? Um, you know, so why are some people worried about their health insurance finding out um, the gym? And the answer usually is, well, because what if they find out that I'm not as healthy as I seem to be, and or that I'm saying that I am, and therefore they might adjust my health care premiums, et cetera, right? And it's a fair, it's a fair question. But, you know, sometimes I explain it this way, which is, look, if specifically for you, you know, Jamie, Jamie, son, you're worried about, you know, your health insurance company charging you more. Um, if if what they want to do is that, they just need to go and look at your Facebook photos and see the size waste you have, 
Look at the photo, like, photos on Instagram of the stuff you eat, um, whether you smoke or not. And they have their a much more clear and, and more predictable, uh, um, you know, a set of metrics to know likely how long you're going to live than what they can find in your genome, right? And it's much easier, by the way, to hang, to look at someone's photo on Facebook than to try to have a bioinformatician comb through, a, you know, for the 150 gigabytes of, uh, of, of, of data, right? Um, so it is, it is a concern, that makes sense. but, um, go ahead. No, no, it makes total sense. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, we do what we can. Um, will it happen at some point? Will somebody's database, either at a hospital, a company, an insurance company, be hacked? Probably yes. We can't expect it won't. Uh, we do what in terms of preventing it, right? Okay. That makes total sense. Um, so what's next on the horizon? Can you capture um, epigenetic changes to someone's genome, or is that like a whole other ball of wax? Like what's yeah, next I mean, you could. For Veritas? Uh, no, that's a great question. So, so in the in the short term, meaning this year, um, look, the price of sequencing is going down. I think that's very clear. That's not that's not news. The question is how fast is it going down, right? Uh, so obviously, our products will will have be more accessible to more people as the price goes down. We think, you know, and Illumina, who's the, one of the main producers of the machines that do the sequencing, have said that, you know, in five to seven years, the genome will be a hundred dollars. I think that's right. So the question is, what happens from today at a thousand dollars to, let's say, five years when it's a hundred? Um, so that's price is going down. Two, we're launching new products. So this year we'll launch a newborn whole genome se- uh, sequencing product or the report specifically for for, for babies and, and children. Uh, so that'll that'll come out too. Um, I think you're going to see more movement in the industry. I think. Some of the players that, and we've been saying this for a couple of years, some of the players that that uh, are based their their products on genotyping, I think they're going to realize that at a at a lower price, they probably need to move to exome or genome sequencing, right? I think that's that's also not news. I think that's expected. Um, and then you know the big one also is deploying these ma- machine learning tools to to hundreds of thousands of genomes, right? We our goal is to to reach the the one million genome sequenced in 2021. So it's in the next two years that we really can start deploying these machine learning tools and and make some predictions and learn more about genetics. After that, you're right. It's on one side, can we understand more about epigenetics uh, and also other omics, right? It's proteomics and microbiome and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's that's you know three to five years out. Where things are going. Oh, are you going to be able to, or are you going to even try or attempt to uh, sequence uh, someone's gut microbiome or all the microbiomes yeah. in the person? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the company's already doing that. I think it's the integration of genomics with microbiome, with immune, with proteomics, et cetera, that is going to be that that is going to be you know um, sort of the next the next area, if you like, or the next frontier. Um, so I think that's interesting. The other. The other interesting aspect of what's happening now is, so today there are already, you know, many hospitals and clinics that offer whole genome sequencing for healthy people, right? So, so we have a collaboration with the Mayo Clinic, uh, and they will offer our product, my genome, to their executive health, uh, uh, you know, offers. So if you go and have, have a see your doctor or Mayo Clinic, you can ask to have your genome sequenced as a healthy individual, right? And and use that information to help your healthcare plans. And there are, you know, we have relationships with 30 other well-known clinics. I think part of what you're going to see this year is many, many, many more hospitals and clinics are going to adopt that. So probably in the next two to three years, 
you will see also every person that walks into a, a hospital will be offered like, hey, let's sequence your genome and see um, if there's information there to either treat you for what you're here for, or can we use that information to prevent certain things from coming, you know, from coming down the line? So I think that's another another trend that we'll see more uh, emerging um, in the next couple of years. No, no, that makes sense. Do you think it may be a problem if uh, genetic sequencing gets to be excessively cheap? You know, what if it falls to I don't know ten dollars or a dollar? What would that do? I mean, would uh... yeah. Look, the sequencing is quickly becoming a commodity, right? Eventually, it'll be free. Like, I mean, basically free, right? We we did a we ran a promotion in November. Um, we we decided to drop the price of our product, which is a clinical grade product, is the highest grade product you can find in the marketplace, to one hundred and ninety nine dollars. And we said, look, we're going to offer a thousand tests in forty eight hours and see how many people buy them. Um, partly because, look, we don't have the marketing budget that someone like 23andMe or Ancestry, any of those companies have, right? Like, you know, we're a startup, right? So we we have a, a an amazing group of followers and and supporters, and we thought let's let's see, you know, how long it would take to sell a thousand genomes at $199, and uh, and you know, we said 48 hours or a thousand, whatever comes first. We sold out in less than six hours. Half of them were gone by the time wow. that you know we started at 9 a.m. Half of them were gone by the time that you know the orders from California were coming in, <laughs> right? So, yeah. so the sequencing is quickly becoming a commodity. And the important and the difficult thing here is the interpretation: is who, what is the team that is doing an interpretation of my genetic code, of the differences of the variants in my genetic code? And that's really where you can differentiate yourselves, right? And that's where you want to go. You know, we sometimes use the analogy to Netflix, right? Um, Netflix started offering shows that everybody else created and you just paid for that access. But once you had Hulu and this and that and Amazon, et cetera, you know, you could you could get access to all of that in different places. But now you have Netflix because of the content they create themselves. And that's why you go have Amazon Prime videos because the content they create themselves. Right. So in a similar way, um, we're starting to create our own content and we strongly believe that if if we can give you the better interpretation for your results, you customer will decide to do it with us. Um, maybe the, maybe the sequencing will be free, and then you have an interpretation, you know, membership package, and you pay, you know, ten twenty bucks a month or something like that. And we're exploring that, right? Um, and we're pretty open about it. Why? Because that's where the value is going to come: is a relationship with someone for the rest of their life, for them to keep on learning from the genetics, and then eventually you know, other aspects of their biology. I mean, that's that's the ultimate value proposition or service that we have for our customers is come to us so we can give you the best possible knowledge about your genes and your biology for you to make some smart decisions about your health. Well, so as not to make it a one-off, do you have a service where you're always looking at the latest scientific papers, curating them, and then let's say pushing it through a membership portal to the people that have had their DNA sequence? So like, you know, you wouldn't want to say, oh, we, you know, because you you have this uh, predisposition towards this condition and we found new research on it. You know, I guess it would be more an, an anonymous thing. But again, do you have a service like that or will you have a service where you curate the latest science and it gets pushed to everyone and shows them what's new with, with uh, you know, genetic uh, interpretation? Exactly. That's actually that's what we're launching this year. Right. So right now, the report that, that our customers receive is. You know, we think it's a very valid interpretation 
of, of knowledge that is out there, that is in the literature, different studies, etc. The idea when we're, when we're starting this year is these regular updates, right? So today, the information that we provide to our customers, um, you know, is, is, a, is a report that summarizes certain aspects that we think are important based on the literature and research, et cetera, that exists out there. We're starting to introduce our own content, right? So we have now a chapter called Risk in our letters report, and then it defines a certain um, particular types of genes that are related to certain conditions, and we give you what is what is a relative risk that you may have for but where we're going now is creating these updates, right? Where maybe we start with a, a you know every, a quarterly update in which we find what is the most interesting research out there in the literature, maybe our own research, and then we say, hey, there's some new insights, and we want to give those back to all our customers. But eventually, where we want to go is it has to be much faster, right? This has to be in a way. If you read an article on you know the New York Times on Sunday about 20 new genes that are related to something that you're interested in, you know, we want you to be able to ask us and say, hey, Veritas, can you take a look and see if, if I have this? Because I'm interested in this because of my Uncle Peter, whatever. And we should be able to literally turn around in less than 24 hours and say, yeah, here it is. It's in your report. Just log in or, or here it is, right? Because at that point, it's literally just a search in through your genome, right? Um, and, you know, and maybe that's another 50 bucks or something, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out, but that's where we want to go. And then the ultimate final, uh, if you like, uh, or, or not ultimate, but the next frontier is your genome. You, nobody wants to log into a report. Nobody wants to see a PDF, right? And, and we, we, you know, we don't, we focus right now in a web interface, but where it really want, you really want to go is you just want to ask things of your genome. Like you ask things today of the weather. Right. You want to be able to walk into Whole Foods and say, hey, is there anything in my genome around diet or something I need to keep in mind? And that's where you want the information about certain things that you might want to eat or not. Right. Or you go to the pharmacy and you pick up your pills and you want to make sure that the medication that your doctor gave you doesn't have a you don't have a drug sensitivity for it because of your genes. Right. It, it has to right, be yeah. immediately. It's in context. The information should be useful to you when you need it, how you need it. That's how we see, you know, someone querying their genome, not something passive that you have to log into and look at the report. Like, you know, that's like the 1980s. <laughs> so that's where we're going. When, when are we going to have, uh, you know, a, a relationship breakup where the, you know, as the woman says, it's not you, it's your genome. I, I just can't. I think we do that all the time. We just don't necessarily know what is genome versus not, right? And most of the That's time true. it's a combo. Most of the time it's a combo. So, you know. You're like, sweetheart, we're just, we're just not genetically compatible. You know? Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> we know we do this today without knowing, right? There are many things we know that we find in a partner that are interesting or attractive to us, partly about what we perceive of them. And party, part of our ability to perceive is obviously genetic, right? We just don't know necessarily exactly where. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be learning a lot more of it. Well, very cool. Well, last question. Um, you know, I've been learning a little bit about epigenetics, you know, gene expression, uh -huh. and how yeah. that apparently changes throughout life. Do you think that you'll yeah. be able to capture gene expression so that I can be sequenced now and then in five years and then in five years and I can see literally – you know, okay, I have this base set of genes, but my gene expression is taking me in this direction and therefore predisposing yeah. me to this or that or helping me avoid this or that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think yes. So we're epigenetics is one of those areas where we're and and you know maybe just a thirty second refresher is helpful for your for your audience, right? Um, epigenetics is information that is around the DNA, not in the DNA, that affects what genes get turned on and turned off. That's what we mean by expression, right? Um, so yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot more about epigenetics um, in the next mm -hmm. decades or so. We've just scratched the surface, um, mm -hmm. not just in terms of your health and what happens to your biology, but other things, right? It's um, I, I did a I did a talk earlier at, at TED this in, in Vancouver this year or last year 2018 uh, during a session called TED Unplugged, where I basically described that one of the possibilities with epigenetics is that some of the emotions that we have, positive emotions, moments of excitement in our life, you know, this really truly deep those that happen a few times in your life where you just feel this incredible connection. Uh, whether you you know you're you're looking at a sunset or you're enjoying a moment with a family member or somewhere in nature, et cetera, um, that some of those emotions might be echo, type of echo from emotions that are that our ancestors felt. That epigenetically is the way that we are experiencing it, right? And there's some evidence to show that it could be possible. I'm not saying that this has been proven, but I think. I think we're going to find some really interesting things around what we today know about genetics. For sure, we'll learn more a lot about genetics, but also other things that today, going back to the metaphor of the poet, today they sound like poetry and magic, right? Um, and I think genetics is probably going to be one of them. Well, this has been really fascinating. I mean, seriously. Um, so what are some resources for listeners? Like, I like a couple different levels. One is obviously you know, how to contact Veritas and get their gene sequence. And then another one is what what can people read or experience that will tell them more about this? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually created a whole series of videos. The first few of them are not, don't even talk about our product or anything, but are more, uh, you know, sort of informational and educational, but they're, they're well done. We partnered with a four-time Emmy Award winner in Boston to work on these. And they're in YouTube under Cinema Veritas um, or the Cinema Genetics channel has them. What is DNA? How are genes passed on? What is a variant, et cetera? So those are some basic resources. Uh, there are other resources on our website, veritasgenetics.com. We have additional videos. We have materials. We have articles. We have a bunch of blog posts where we try to explain everything from how big is the genome to what can you find in a genome to how do we compare with other tests, et cetera. Uh, and I think it's worth, look, we're not in the business of selling another test. There are many other companies doing that. Many companies out there just trying to make a buck by selling another test. That's not our business. We want to create a relationship with people long term so they can really understand and learn more about their genomics over their lifetime. Right? So I would suggest to your to your audience, take the time to to read a couple of these articles. Take the time to see some of these videos. Um if you're if you're asking whether to buy a genetic test or not for yourself or for someone else. I would ask three basic things. One, what is the team and what are the qualifications for what they're doing? Two, what are the different privacy and security measures that they take? And three, do they have support like a genetic counselor or something, someone that I can talk to if I have a question once I get my results? That's where I would start. Well, very good. Rodrigo, this has been great. I think it's super interesting, and I think uh, people will be very interested to hear this. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.